0: Are you ready? Luke 24, innocent. Today I want to talk to you about being innocent. Luke chapter 24, this is kind of that passage that we're familiar with on a Resurrection Sunday, verse one through seven. But very early on Sunday morning, say very early. Did any of you ever grow up going to a uh, Easter Sunday morning service, a sunrise service? Anybody go to a sunrise service as a kid growing up? Absolutely. Early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and so they went in. I heard something this week that blessed me. Why did the stone roll away? Do you know the stone did not roll away to let Jesus out? But the stone was rolled away that we might see in, that we could see in of the finished work that Jesus paid for for us, so that we could get some eyes to see and understand what had been accomplished. Jesus didn't need the stone to roll away. He walked through walls after this, amen? The stone rolled away so we could see, and that's our prayer today, that we can see into this weekend. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified. They bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who was alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Go ahead and celebrate that. We're going to pause and we're going to celebrate that because he is not in that tomb. He is risen. He is alive. Amen. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he had told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, must be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. So he was betrayed, he was crucified, and he rose again on the third day. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Why was the Son of God, Jesus Christ, why was he betrayed? Why was he crucified? And why was he resurrected? The answer is for you and for me. Amen? For you and for me. He wasn't betrayed because of himself. He wasn't crucified for himself, and he wasn't raised just for himself. He did all of that for us. He had never fallen, he took our place. He was never under the devil's foot, we were, amen. He was never dead, we were, so he died that we may live. Come on now, let's give praise to Jesus for that, amen. There's been a word stirring in my heart for the last three weeks as I've been praying about today, significance on today, and it's the word innocent. Would you write the word innocent in your notes? Innocent. And if you need a Bible or notebooks, we provide them for you throughout the sanctuary. Please feel free to take them. We want you to take notes. We want you to read the word with us. But please write that word, innocent, down. It is not an innocence like a child, like a baby, like an infant. It's not that type of innocence that's in my spirit. But rather one that stands before a judge. A person that stands before a judge that is truly guilty. But you have been made innocent by a transaction through Jesus. I want you to feel that today. I want us to see that today, that we have been made innocent. Please say, made innocent. Please write it in your notes, made innocent. Because it's not just that he chooses to see you as innocent. I want you to hear me today. He has made you innocent. It's one thing to say, I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to ignore that sin. It's another thing to turn you into someone as if you've never sinned, that you've been made innocent. Amen? Amen. He was made our guilt, and we were made his righteousness. The word righteousness, just for the sake of our conversation today, is being put in right standing with God. Let's bring us all the way back to the Garden of Eden where mankind fell, our relationship with God was broken, and we became sinners then all of us have sinned in our lives and fallen short of the glory of God. We've broken God's law, we are not perfect, and we needed a Savior. He was made our guilt that we may be made His righteousness in right standing with God. And everything that would be included as someone who would have right standing with God where you could go into that throne of grace, where you have not only relationship, but you have precious promises and covenant and God has the ability to involve himself into your life on a regular basis. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21. I wanna talk to you about that just for a little bit. The Bible says this, talking about Jesus, talking about God and Jesus, it says, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. Remember, Jesus is sinless, the spotless, sinless lamb he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. Well, it wasn't his sin, right? He was sinless. Say sinless. God didn't make Jesus to be Jesus' sin. God made Jesus to be our sin. So God did something here. He, he took the sin from our life. The breaking of God's law from our life, the guilt from our life, and He made Jesus our sin and our sacrifice for sin. There's a picture of this in the Old Testament where they would bring a lamb to the high priest, a spotless, perfect lamb, and the family would take their sins and their guilt and they would lay their hands on that lamb and they would confess their sins upon that lamb. And then they would receive the purity of that lamb, kind of picture of Jesus coming. They would receive the forgiveness. They would receive the white as snow cleansing, and the lamb would become their sin and their sacrifice for that sin. That's why that picture in the Old Testament was there, so we could get a revelation of what was going to happen in the New Testament when Jesus, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world would come, where God had prepared himself an offering, amen. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, God made him Jesus who knew no sin to be our sin on our behalf so that we might become. God did not just take your sin. It's an exchange. Hear what I just said. He didn't just take away your sin. He took away your sin that you might become. Jesus became what we were and we became what he was. We would become... Say, become. The righteousness of God in him. Amen. Let me show this to you in another way, this little illustration today. It's going to be a... It could be a little loud if the mic's on. That's fine. (laughs) This is us. This is our sin. Amen. Dark, black, guilty sin. This is his righteousness. Jesus, clean perfect, holy, in right standing, righteous. Here's what I want us to see. It's not that God just stopped looking at our sin. It's not that God just covered our sin. Listen to this. He emptied. Jesus emptied himself out. And he took upon himself, he became... Our sin you know those stubborn sins? <laughs> that so easily beset us. Come on now. But you see, I want us to see this. Please hear this. God made him who knew no sin, to become our sin. It's not that he just is ignoring it. It's not that he's just not looking at it. Jesus became, he emptied out his righteousness that we might be made now the righteousness of God. That was his. That was his. This was ours. Can you see that picture? which then let's talk about this for a second. The righteousness of God. God quality of righteousness. God potency of righteousness. The God kind of righteousness. That you may be made the righteousness of God not the righteousness of a righteous person, not the righteousness of a very, 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 very good person. You have become the righteousness that is God's righteousness. God's level, God's quality, God potency, God purity of rightness through this exchange. Sometimes we, we, we lose some of the truth in it because we just think we were forgiven. You weren't just forgiven, you were made by an act of God made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's okay to celebrate that. That's a good spot. (laughs) Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, talking about the good news, the gospel that we preach, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone, say everyone, Everyone who believes, everyone, please do not disqualify yourself based on how guilty the devil tries to make you feel or how far your journey has gone. In Christ, God is saving everyone who believes, the the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Say, right in his sight. you got to use the finger. Right in his sight. So when the devil tries to accuse you of your past, you say, I've been made right in his sight. I'm telling you, it's much more effective with this. If you look in the Greek, you'll see, raise your hand and wag your finger. It's there. Right in his sight. You have been made right. You've been made. You've been made. You've been made right. Not wrong. We were wrong, and we've been made right. In his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it was through faith that a righteous person has life. Through faith that a righteous person has life has life. It tells us how God made us right in his sight, how he sees us, and how he relates to us now. What does it mean to be made right in his sight? What what does that do? What, What does that accomplish? This is how God sees you now. You are right in his sight. And because this is the way he sees you, this is also the way he interacts with you. He doesn't treat you like the sinner that we were, or that we even truly can say we are, we were guilty of. But he's like, no, I've made you right in my sight. I will treat you based on how I've made you. I will hear your prayers based on being right in my sight. But God, I don't qualify. I don't earn access. Who am I to speak to God? But I have made you right in my sight. I see you as right in my sight. I will interact with you as if you are right in my sight because you are right in my sight. Ask anything you would as a righteous child, as a son or daughter of God, but Jesus, what about this and what about this? I have made you right in my sight. Come, speak with me, be with me. It's the way he not only sees you, but it's the way he can interact with you now because you are right in his sight. Amen? Amen. The righteousness, the rightness, does not rely on man's ability, but reveals how God makes sinful man, please hear this, as holy as himself, through faith in Jesus. Excuse me? Did you just hear that? How God makes sinful man as holy as himself through faith in Jesus. See, we have this little, yeah, celebrate that. I mean, we're talking about a work of God, not a work of man. And we can sometimes get this funny idea of holiness, like it's, I don't know, don't cut your hair, don't wear makeup, you know, whatever. Be perfect, be this, be this. I'm talking about a holiness that isn't this outward working that we could ever accomplish. I'm talking about a holiness that is from God. And he has made you as holy as himself. How can you say that, Kevin? How can you say that? I mean, do you know me? Do you know me? I understand the idea maybe that God forgives me, maybe, but he's made me holy, as holy as himself. That almost sounds wrong. But yet, how could you become the body of Christ if you weren't as holy as himself? How could you become the temple of the Holy Spirit and him fill you with the Holy Spirit, which is himself, if you are not made as holy as himself? Not by any work you have done, but by the work he did upon that cross, when he made that exchange and he took your sin and my sin, he became sin, that we may become the righteousness, God's righteousness, God kind of righteousness, God kind of holiness. That's what happened on that cross. That's what happened this weekend. These are the things that we celebrate, because it's not just a historical thing. It affected us. It's transformed us. It's changed the way he not only sees me, it's changed how he interacts with me, how he relates to me, what he can offer to me. And it's not based on my good works. It's not based on how I've qualified. Jesus has qualified me. Why did he do it? Because he chose to, not because I was worthy, not because I earned it, because he saw me and he didn't want to be without me and he didn't want to be without you. And he did it for you and he did it for me and he did it for all of us. Give him praise, church. Give him praise. Praise God. God makes sinful man as holy as himself through faith in Christ. The gospel does not reveal that God is righteous. It reveals how God's own standard of perfection, his righteousness, is made available to all people as a free gift by faith. It is a righteousness, a rightness, that has its source and quality from God. A righteousness that has its source and quality from God. So let's talk about the process. I wanna take you through these three pictures. Let's talk about the cross just for a minute. The cross, Romans 6.6. 6. We know that our own sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Somebody shout. You are not a slave to sin. When Jesus was crucified on that cross a couple weeks ago, I said it's important that we don't just see Jesus being crucified on that cross, but we see ourselves in him. We see our old sinful nature in him. We see our sins being placed upon him and in him. He became our sin, just like we talked about here. We know that our old sinful nature was crucified with Christ that sin may lose its power. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ. Say, I have been crucified. With Christ. Come on. In him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. The Messiah lives in me, and the life I now live in the body I live by faith in, by adherence to and reliance upon, complete trust in, the Son of God." I love that language, this reliance upon, complete trust in what Jesus has done. There is no confidence in my works and in my perfection. My confidence, complete reliance is that Jesus' sacrifice was more than enough, that Jesus' sacrifice was for me, for my right standing, for my forgiveness, for my freedom from the domination and the power of sin. I adhere to and I rely upon completely on Christ's work. Isn't that great? Because there's times when there's temptation in life where we kind of put it back on ourselves, don't we? Let's be honest. There's times where we see ourselves make mistakes and we try to put all that penance back on ourselves. And we need in those moments to lean back into this cross and say, God, I'm so grateful that I need a Savior. I'll always need a Savior. Amen. And I see Jesus on that cross even for this moment. And I'm thankful that you died even for this moment in my life. Colossians chapter two, verse 13. I love this passage. I'm about to get super excited. So don't you hold me back right now. Colossians chapter two, verses 13 through 15. Are you ready? You were dead because of your sins. I love the past tense. Don't you love the past tense? I was dead. Sometimes we don't realize that we were dead and we've been made alive. That's what we're getting in this journey. We'll get there in just a second. You were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature. It was not yet cut away, but you know what? It's been cut away now. Come on now. There's a little hint there where we're headed. It's been cut away now. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. Man, I love God's word so much. He forgave all of them, all of them. He canceled. I wish I had an organ right now. This is where I'd be like, Meh. he canceled. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to his cross. Come on. He canceled the record of charges. Remember what I said? Like you're in a courtroom of law, the judge is there. You know you're guilty. You know you're ashamed. I love this little picture here. We've got this list of charges that are against us. But God canceled them. When? When he nailed the list of charges to his cross. Amen. There's real charges here. Real sin, real mistakes, real law of breaking. But he took them and he became your sin and it was nailed to that cross. The charges of your sin in Christ are hanging on that cross in Christ. He canceled the record of charges against us. He took it away. I love that because we couldn't do anything with it. So it's like God picked it up, took it away and nailed it to his cross. Listen to this part. Listen to this part. In this way, by doing this, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. You know, we've heard that Jesus spoiled the devil, took away his weapons. You know how he took away his weapons? By taking your sins away because the only way the devil gets access to your life is through that old sinful man. But that old sinful person is dead. So he has no more claim over your life. He has no more authority and sin has no more claim. Why? Because you died to sin and sin has died to you. Upon that cross, he disarmed, he spoiled, he took the weapons away when he made you holy like himself. When he made you righteous like himself. The devil has no claim to your life. Isn't that awesome? He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. In this way, he disarmed the devil over your life. I'm going to speak this over you. You can write it in your notes. You are clean. You are clean. You are innocent. You are innocent. He, I say it again and again, that's the, that's the huge part today. He doesn't just treat you as innocent. You have been made innocent. The devil in sin has nothing in you or on you, no claim to you, no claim to you. The grave, let's talk about the grave. We've talked about the cross and here we are on this resurrection weekend. Let's talk about this grave because when Jesus was taken off that cross, that was you, that was your sin. He was buried in a tomb, but you understand that's also your old person being buried in a tomb. That's also the old self being buried in the tomb. It didn't just die. You were buried with Christ. Amen? This whole journey was not just his journey, my friends. It's our journey in him. Romans 6, 3 through 5, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Not the old life. Why? Because the old life is buried with Christ. You live a new life in him. New potential. Amen. New rights, new privileges. You're in a new kingdom. You're in a new family. Hallelujah. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. The old sinful you died in Christ and was buried. This is why we encourage you to be water baptized. You know, you can be water baptized next week with us, even if this is your first Sunday at Calvary. Today, make a decision. Get your heart right with Jesus. He loves you so much. He wants to make you right in his sight. He wants to make you innocent. He wants to take that whole life you've been living, crucified on that cross with him, buried in a tomb, and you come out the other side, a completely new creation in Christ Jesus. And that can happen in one moment. So get on that app and get registered to be baptized next week. We will celebrate with you. The old life was married to sin in a covenant, just like marriage in this life till death do us part, right? Right? But you know what? You died to that old covenant of marriage to sin, that old covenant of marriage to the devil, that old covenant of marriage to the curse that was on this planet. So it has no more claim on you because you, were, you died with Christ, and now you've been united and married into covenant with life. You're not in covenant with death anymore. You're not in covenant with sin anymore. That's why it has no authority. It has no dominion. You are not in covenant with the devil anymore. You are in covenant with the resurrected king. You're in covenant with life. You're in covenant with righteousness. You're in covenant with his power and his authority. Amen. You were once identified and connected to sin and death. Your new identity and connection is Christ's life and righteousness. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. It has been buried with Christ, buried in that tomb, and a new life, a new life has begun. I hope you hear this is not just like a churchy thing that we talk about, like, this is real your potential completely changes. You might say, but I've been addicted to this forever. I've been doing this life forever. This is all I know. I'm telling you, you give your heart to Jesus, you give your life to Jesus, and it's like he flips a switch on. And it's like, I didn't know I could have a life like this. I didn't know, my whole family generations have been like this. And he says, but you're not connected to that family, you're connected to this family. Your potential your potential, your capability, your inheritance, your promises, you're my seed, you're my child. I'm now your father. I have grafted you in, I have adopted you in, I have made you my own. I treat you like my own, not like a stranger in the house, like my very own born, amen. The cross, the burial, but you know, this is Easter resurrection. He comes out the other side alive, praise God because he didn't just bury your old life, he gives you a new one. But then I wanna bring us to the throne because this is a part of the story that sometimes we don't get to. We, we see the cross and we see the burial and we even see new life is being offered. But then the Bible tells us that Jesus ascended and he was seated at the right hand of God. Why is this important in the story? Remember what I said that all of these things are our journey. That's our death on the cross over there. That was our sin on that cross being judged over there. That's our old life being buried. That's a new life coming up out of that grave into new life. But you know what? You're not just forgiven. You're not just given new life. Do you know you're also given authority? You've become an overcomer in Him. You're not just forgiven, you've been positioned Pastor Kevin, this sounds way too good to be true. That's why it's called the good news. Like, it's not bad news. I want us to see in this whole weekend, there's also this concept of like 40 days after Jesus was raised from the dead, he ascended and he sat down at the right hand of God. Let's look at this in Ephesians. Let me go to my Bible. Open your Bibles if you would please to the book of Ephesians chapter two, as we talk about this ascension. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Have you found it in your Bibles? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. This is going to take you through the whole journey we just talked about. Once you were dead. So you're not dead anymore. You're alive. Stay alive. Once you were dead. I'm not dead anymore. For the first time, I know life. Maybe you thought you were alive before Christ, but you were walking dead people. I was a walking dead man. Once I was dead because of my disobedience and my many sins, you used to live in sin. I don't live in sin anymore, I live in Christ. I may still sin, but I live in Christ, amen. Just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Some people will say, well, I don't obey the devil, Pastor Kevin, I don't obey God, and I don't obey the devil. Here's the deal, there's only two kingdoms. You're either obeying God or you're obeying the devil. Now, the devil may not let you know you're obeying him, but you're obeying him. He'll let you live in ignorance thinking, no, I'm my own God. You aren't your own God. There's only one God. The devil likes to play God. There's one God. You're serving either God or the devil. That's just what the Bible says. Amen? Obeying the devil. The commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts because he's working in people's hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. That's why we can't condemn anyone that doesn't know God. That was us. It's not those dirty sinners out there. We were the dirty sinners. That's why we're hungry and desperate for them to know Jesus like we know Jesus. Not because we condemn them, but because we've come to life and we desire them to have the same life that we've come to and the same access and the same inheritance. It's not a judgmental spirit, it's a love. Amen? All of us used to be that way, following the passions and desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger and wrath, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, say rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, say loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us, when he raised Christ from the dead, It it is only by God's grace that you've been saved for he raised us from the dead alongside of Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms and places because we are united with Christ Jesus. Did you just hear that? If you heard that, you would shout, you know what I'm saying? Listen to this. Well, I'm going to read it to you again. I'm going to, I think I just sprung that on you and you just your reaction was slow. I'm going to read it again, which will give you ample opportunity to get your reaction correct, okay? For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. Let's celebrate that, amen. You're not just forgiven. You don't just get new life. He has seated you with him in heavenly places far above the devil, far above principalities and powers, far above darkness. Are you hearing me? He has seated you in him. You are in him, seated in him in the heavenly realms and places so that God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. This is all from God. Notice none of this is us. This is all what God is doing in us, for us, to us. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Not when you got everything worked out, not when you were perfect, but when you believed. You can't take credit for it, for this is a gift from God. So this here is where I really wanna help you just for a minute, because this will tell us whether or not we believe when God says, I've made you innocent. You're like, ooh, this feels really uncomfortable, the idea of sitting here in this chair. Like, God, I don't belong here. I belong down here on the ground. I'm the dog under the table, but he has seated you at the table. He has seated you in him. He has seated you not only at the table, he seated you in him, in his chair at the table. When I was new to this conversation, I had this idea. This is actually really comfortable, by the way. I may need one of these at my dining room table, just so the kids get the idea. You know what I mean? Like they just get that visual. Yes, my child, kiss the ring. All right. Father's Day. Here. I used to, when I first started this conversation, I used to be okay with the idea. I'm seated with him in heavenly places as if there was like this long line of chairs that went down for eternity. And somewhere I was in that long line of chairs. I'm like, I'm just at the table, praise God. You know what I mean? Like I I was grateful to be at the banqueting table because I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, the 12 apostles, they're gonna be, you know, closer to where Jesus is sitting Maybe Billy Graham or some other great heroes, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just Kevin. And there's this thought process of, yeah, I'm seated with him like I'm with the group. Like I'm with that big heavenly group of godly people. I can see myself with him in that group. But the way it's worded is you're seated in him. Do you hear that? It's like all of humanity, it's not as if there's 50 billion chairs going down one line and you're one of those billion that's just in the group. We are seated in him, with him, in him, amen, at the right hand of God. Do you see that? Can you let that sink in for a minute? What does that give me? It gives me, listen, proximity to God. Do you, hear, do you see the nearness? You're like at the right hand of God. So you're just like, God's like right there. Because <laughs> you're in him. In a chair that he earned with his victory, with his holiness, with his triumph. And he's placed you and pulled you up and seated you in him, with him, proximity to God. You're not down there the line somewhere. You're right here next to the Father's heart. Isn't that awesome? And not only is it proximity, listen to me, it's authority. Come on now. It's not just proximity. It's not just, oh, I get to be close to God. I also get to be above his enemies. (laughs) I also get to, the devil is under my feet. Sin is under my feet. Amen. Back where Adam and Eve were before they fell. You know what I'm saying? So the cross, this journey goes from my sin In my life, being crucified with Christ, to being buried, to being made alive. Yes, we have eternal life. We have new life. To then ascending and being positioned in him. And so imagine if you would about this idea of innocence. Imagine if you would a courtroom. Imagine if you would that you were standing there or sitting there before the judge. You know you are guilty. You know you deserve judgment. And imagine that judge's response if he responded like Christ responds to us, making us innocent.
1: Sitting here in this defendant's seat, trying to wrap my mind around all these accusations and condemnations, part of me knows that as I sit here, there's nothing I can do to change my fate, to change my guilt. I know I've been wrong so many times I've tried so hard to assimilate to your rules, but I've broken every one. Scared to look you in the eye as tears congregate in pools. I wish I was your son, cause then maybe I might have a fighting chance to change my fate. I wouldn't have to sit in this shame. I'm sick from eating the rotten fruit on my plate. I wish I could just change racking my brain, how did I get here? So caught up, I've been enslaved to all my fears. But here I am, and now it's time to pay my dues. I couldn't pay this debt even if I wanted to. So what now? Should I beg, should I plead, should I even speak? How could I plead my case to one so holy and I so weak? For weeks, I cried out, praying the charges might be dropped, wondering how I'm gonna get out of this one, wondering if the humiliation would ever stop. But then you, a judge, a ruler, a king, you do something I could never imagine. You stand up confidently and say, I look at you sitting there, trying to contemplate what I will say to you. I know you're scared. I hold all your tears. I've known you from the start, and I've numbered every hair. You think I don't know you, but you couldn't be more wrong. You think I'm sitting here, plotting your demise, waiting for you to fall waiting for you to mess up so I could say I told you so, or hating you because you keep dropping the ball. You are right about one thing. You've broken every rule, tarnished every command, spat upon my law. It will cost more than you could ever give for all these charges to be dropped. However, there is one thing that could be done, something that would make you innocent and your record expunged something that would keep you from fetters, from chains, from gates, from eternal bondage. I'll take your place because child, I'm your father. Your case has already been settled. You are free to leave. All I ask is that in your freedom, you will remember me. Remember my love when you're tempted to believe a lie. Remember the sacrifice gave up my son just to make you mine. Remember the blood poured out to set you free. Remember the cost, you are priceless to me.